Welcome everyone to the Modern Day Overthinker Podcast. My name is Colin and I am your host. This week's episode, this new episode, is with Joseph and Hannah Reed. Joe, since we're buddies now, I can call him Joe, is an Amazon best-selling author. He wrote a book a couple years ago, well, that was released a couple years ago, called Broken Like Me. He started a nonprofit called Broken People. All of that information can be found in the description of this podcast. We got a chance to talk about his mental health journey and what led up to him writing this book and becoming a speaker. He's actually in town to speak for NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. He collaborates with them a lot, and not only that, he brought his daughter with him, and we were able to discuss a couple things as well. His daughter, Hannah, wrote the foreword in the book, and we discussed how that came to be. We talked about her OCD and exposure response prevention, ERP, and also her father's story and how she relates to it. This was just an awesome episode, and it really was great timing that they were in town and had a great time recording with them, and I hope you have a great time and enjoy listening to this episode because I really enjoy creating it for you. Without further ado, this is episode number 66 of the Modern Day Overthinker podcast with Joseph and Hannah Reed. Before you start the episode, I would like to warn you that there was a good amount of discussion in regards to suicide. So if that is something that affects you and you don't want to hear about it, I wanted to give you a heads up before you start the episode. Thinker Podcast. My name is Colin and I am your host. Today's episode is with Joseph, or do you prefer Joe Reed? Yeah, so Joe is fine. Joe it's is fine. fine? It's way shorter. Way sh- It's way easier, yes. Yeah. It's, you got a good name that's not one I'm going to butcher. I've had a couple names on the podcast before where I'm just like, oh, you just introduced yourself. <laughs> yeah, but if you did butcher it, that would be impressive. So I'd, I'd have to try to goals. Yeah, goals. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you being here, man. It was good timing because uh, yeah. you're speaking tomorrow, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we get started, I just wanted to have you introduce yourself, and you are involved in the advocacy world yeah. pretty well, pretty deep. So you do a lot of different things, so it's way easier for, for me to have you introduce yourself. So I appreciate you being here, and I'll let you have the floor for a second here. Yeah, great studio, great uh, show. I, I listened to the one that you sent me. It was really cool. Uh, I'm Joe Reed top three things about me is I love God, I love my wife, and I love my kids. So, I mean, that, that really nails it down for who I am as a person. 
and the extension of that is is uh, loving people through um, you know I feel like our pain has a purpose and at least I really hope it does oh yeah and and so using some of the, the tragedy uh, uh, that I've experienced to make life a little bit easier not only for myself but for others and um, so I got a book it was a bestseller on Amazon um, my workbook just came out it's, it was a number one new release on Amazon um, and that's for people that are incarcerated and we'll dive into what the book is uh, I've got a, an international uh, Facebook group called uh, Broken People we're in 43 countries um, yeah I checked it out it's uh, it's growing that's for sure it's, it's growing yeah it's yeah. not and, and, and honestly our goal for, for Broken People has never been uh, growth in terms of numbers um, I think one of the things that you know I grew up in a in the church and one of the one of the problems with the church that I don't want to repeat in the mental health faces for you, yeah. just so you don't. Thanks. In, yeah. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. And so in the in the mental health world, like you know, the the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long long suffering, gentleness, meekness. You know, none of that stuff has to do with quantitative growth. It's all about qualitative growth. Oh yeah. And That's so if I can just help, if you have a thousand people in there and only five people are talking, or it does, or it helps flipping nobody. Yeah. So like, if I can help one person, um. Man, that's. I mean, what an honor to do that one thing. So, not setting my bar high, we got we got to thirteen hundred, twelve hundred people. That that you know, that's good. And if the Lord provides more, I'm down with it. I'll do whatever. So, yeah, that's a cool to. little. Uh, yeah, you don't even need uh, like to get on like message boards anymore. You just create a Facebook group, and yeah. you know, the majority of people are on Facebook anyway. So yeah, and that's how this thing started. Like I started writing uh, after tragedy in my life, and I got in touch with this guy, and he's like, "Well, you can write a book and only impact the people that are reading the book, or you can." Well, he said he wanted me to start a ministry, but I'm like, we have too many fucking ministries yeah. in Grand Rapids as it is that we need better people to lead them. So I'm like, I'm, and plus the demographic of people that I would reach with my story, I think would way surpass the people that were necessarily in a church. Because um, I think there's a lot of connection that is lost just because we put labels on people and it separates us. Um, and yeah, my book obviously has re- has reached and the group has reached people that from all walks of life. and. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a blessing to me to be able to interact with people that I wouldn't typically had the chance to work, interact with them within the boundaries and walls of the church. Yeah, that's so. how I feel doing this. I mean, I've met so many different people from doing the podcast and doing stuff on social media. And yeah, the I was talking about that earlier. Just like the the random people I know that I've never even met in real life is is crazy, and it's awesome. But yeah. uh, I could be like, yeah, one a friend of mine. They're like your friend like who are you talking about like it's an online friend and everybody's like what like, mm. yeah i have a lot of those and yeah I, the one from connecticut you did the interview with is that the lady that has her own uh support group elizabeth is it or oh that was uh not elizabeth um i'm bad with names this, the one sarah you... okay yep yep yeah sarah uh, that was the one i sent you was the episode with sarah yeah that was a good one i like that yeah, Sarah's really good, uh, and we talked a lot about OCD, which is great because that's what I like to talk about. Um, yeah. If I'm, are you obsessive about talking about OCD? No, 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 no. no. It's uh, <laughs> it gets people. Uh, it's it's a very it's a subject that not a lot, a lot of people really truly understand. Like, and I have to like uh, make sure I. I don't know. I talk about it as much as I can. Not necessarily, yeah, because I because I am obsessed with it. I'm I'm more obsessed with 
making sure people truly understand it and don't think it's just like a a cleaning disorder yeah. or uh, <laughs> like I wish it was. I'm not no, I don't wish it was, but I wish I was more of a clean, tidy person, but that's not my world at all. Mm-hmm. Um it's more about the intrusive thoughts and things like that. So uh dealing with the just the doubt. It's a lot of just feeding off of doubt. So Yeah. But uh, when I was listening to, like I said, I got a chance to listen to a portion of the, of the book yesterday. And um, so let's kind of start from the beginning here. So you had a hospitalization in the early 2000s yep. that kind of opened your eyes to your mental illness. And from there, it kind of... Uh, so describe that time period and then getting to just a few years ago, you're like, oh, I'm going to write a book. So what brought you to that point? I know you said it was a tragedy. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not. Um, but I wanted to just get into that story, like impacting you um, just when you did your first uh, first stint. I should say it's a terrible way to say it, but I know how it is there, but um, when you went into the hospital the first time, because you said you got an ultimatum from your wife, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, my first mental health getaway. Yeah. A little vacation. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I grew up in Detroit and in a very charismatic background, Christian, Pentecostal, and, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, mental health, I mean, for anybody in general, I, I think wasn't really addressed, but especially within the church, it was, you know, it was a spiritual issue and was something we prayed about. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, we, you know, we were, we, and, you know, I, I have no doubt that my, my parents and my pastor were doing the best they could. Um, and, and I know of the, course. The, the church right now is turning a huge corner in, in, in addressing these things. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I just thought if I just made better decisions, if I was just more faithful in my prayers, that I wouldn't have the struggles that I had then. And, and you know... <clears throat> what seemed so normal to me to have, you know, suicidal thoughts every 10 minutes or whatever, you know, or when something went wrong, like that's just my daily life. And I sat down with my doctor and he was like, Oh, that's not actually how I think. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Why not? Not everybody's Um, like this. Yeah. And so, you know, I I moved to uh, Grand Rapids from Detroit and as a a police officer uh, for Grand Rapids uh, for a short time. And, um, and also did a trip to Kosovo, uh, which is now, again, experiencing a lot of ethnic um, disturbance between Serbians and Albanians. And mm-hmm. the time that I was there in 2001, it was uh, K4 was there. It was a, a United Nations force that was working to kind of keep the separation of people because when they got together, that's when problems started. Mm. And uh, when I was there, I visited right after the, the big war with Milosevic, and there was just a lot of chaos, a lot of destruction, a lot of families broken, a lot of stories that were just devastating. And, and I... You know, we went through with a church group to try to make a difference, you know, and I was just overwhelmed by what in the world could I do. So, you know, getting out of the law enforcement, you know, coming back from that experience and not really having a direction or goal for life. I, and I was working at FedEx at the time after I, I left law enforcement. Um, and I was just struggling. And, and my wife, uh, you know, I'd been journaling for a little bit and she found some pictures of me. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, what I was trying to do is convince myself to come out to kill myself. I was trying to build up because uh, that's the only future I could see for myself. Like I, I had this image of be going behind a potty a potty store. That's where you go to the bathroom. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to pay for it though. No, a party mm-hmm. store, and uh, you know, just kind of 
offing myself. I know it's not a nice way, way to put it, but that's that's my life. That's my story. Yeah. And um, yeah, she saw a picture of I had a shotgun in my mouth, and um, and something I'd drawn, and and uh, she got in touch with my therapist, and they're like, oh, we're gonna give you some time away to uh, deal with yourself. But when it did that, um, we're talking 2002. Um, I was going through ministry school. So I took all my books with me. I took all my studies. I took, you know, I was, I was just going to use this as like a little chance to get away and, and do my homework. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, just to, and, uh, man, that really got in the way of, of, uh, self-care and the nurses did not like that. My wife didn't like that. It took all my books away. Yeah, you know, like they, that's not what you're here for. Is no, it? I know. And I was trying to be helpful. Like they had people struggling. Like I would try to help people around and like, that's just my personality. And actually that's what got me in a lot of trouble was people pleasing, people pleasing, but also just this, this, uh, you know, right around that time I was too, was working in children's ministry. And I, I, um, anytime I would run across somebody that had a need or a want, I would jump in and I think, well, I'm aware of this need. Who's better to do something than the person that's aware of the need. So no matter where the need came from or whatever, you know, somebody needed help with something, I would just jump in and do it. And I was burning myself out. And um, really the church, you know, having me work so many hours as a volunteer um, really didn't give me any direction in terms of how to create boundaries. And I was, you know, just still a kid basically at 23, 24. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that that overextending myself um, was, was a major player in, in being hospitalized too and that empathy – I'm like an empathy bomb, you know, I just, I care so much about people and, you know, I, you know, I think I know what everybody's thinking even though probably half the time I'm wrong, but it it matters to me. That's the thing. Even if I'm wrong, it still matters to me what you're feeling and thinking. Um, and I care very deeply. So yeah, got into the hospital, spent some time there. It's it's one of four trips. So When when was the second one? Uh, the second one. I'm drawing a blank right now. So did you like come back? We're good for a while. Yeah, I made a comeback. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think the the second one, yeah, I was Holland Hospital, and that was in 2013. And I can't remember what led up to that, but I knew it was coming. It was like, oh, I just want to do this every 10 years. You know, <laughs> that's what I felt yeah. like. So this year, when it's 2023, I'm like, uh, am I gonna, you know, just keep the Routine going, and yeah. I was like, oh, I feel okay. Yeah, you know. Well, I think yeah. The last time, twenty thirteen, I was involved with children's ministry, still just doing a, a lot of stuff, overextending myself again. Mm, yeah, and just letting me fall into those mental traps of of believing all the stuff up in your head, and and uh, and that time I was able to kind of deal with it myself. So I created a team of people around me and my family. I prepared them so that when I was going to go in, we had a lot of resources available. Um, and then ended up being really, uh, really so that wasn't an ultimatum situation. That, that was a me self-driven. Yeah. I know I need this. And I actually, um, yeah, so that was four times. So that was the second time. And then I got out after two weeks and then I went back in after oh. a week. And then I did a, a, a stent of, uh, there's the word stent of, yeah. uh, outpatient. Okay. So good times. It reminds me a lot of, uh, I mean, with with going into the psych ward, but going into like, because it's a it's basically rehab for your brain. I know a lot of people that have gone, gone to rehab for addiction, and 
doesn't always take the first time. It's very, oh. and the, or the first time they're like forced to go. You know, okay, yeah. I'll go. Yeah, I guess you give me no choice, and um, it takes really like somebody really wanting to go. Yeah, for I it heard. to actually stick. And I just had a, a somebody go to um, like a recovery thing like that, and one of the powerful things they said to me was relapse is part of recovery. And the more we can accept for some that. people, yeah, it doesn't have to be, but for no, a lot it of people, doesn't, yeah. yeah, for a lot of people, that's part of their story. It is, and 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 you know, you think about in terms of like incarceration, recidivism rates are so high. That's just like another form of rehabs. Uh, oh yeah, it's uh, the cheaper version. Yeah, it's the cheaper version. It's the yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot more to describe that other than just cheaper. Oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's... it's it's the messed up version. Um, sure. Yeah, because I have a you have a friend that's hopefully getting out in the next few months. Uh, he says he said six months at the most when I talked to him a couple weeks ago, but he's in there because of yeah he's nonviolent, just he's an addict and yeah. got caught up in some stuff and he's the thing is he's been there before. It's like when you're talking to him, he's like he sounds great, he's doing well, he's just but he's mm. he's like so used to it. Yeah. Cause he's done it. He's he's older than I am, and he's he's been there. I think he's done before he did this. This time it was like twelve years total. And he said yeah. he's just like, yep. Yeah, I remember my first time in the hospital was two weeks. It was pretty intense, and I my big fear after about a week and a half was, wow, I can't imagine it uh, functioning outside of this facility in real, the real world and you know that yeah. insti- institutionalization like oh this is just part of life you know this is and then that's you not a set schedule you know yeah yeah and you get out and i've i've had uh, a couple buddies you know spend spend a decade and more in in prison and you know they develop great habits in prison because they've got those strict boundaries and i don't think people recognize the benefit of boundaries like that mm-hmm. that we put upon ourselves um and you know they get out and they have this great whatever study life, and then they have all these options. It's like walking into a a cereal aisle, and your wife says, "Pick out a cereal," and you got fifty million choices. Yeah. It's like I'm going to spend a half an hour there. That's the worst aisle for me. Oh, that's the worst, man. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about the book and and getting to that point where you're like, okay. And you said you talked to like a friend of yours that kind of encouraged it, or was it a someone yeah. in the church? Or yeah, he was uh, my wife. My wife uh, runs a Starbucks out in West Michigan, okay. And he was a customer, and he he did some work with uh, our Daily Bread is a publishing company, Christian publishing company out there, and okay. And he just kind of yeah, yeah. He kind of took me under his wing and and gave me some guidance and encouragement that I needed, and. Uh, because I was just pissed. I was just mad, you know, after the, the, the tragedy that happened. Um, and I really didn't know where to focus it, but I was just writing. And I can go into that story a little bit if you wanted to. Yeah, uh, no, that's fine. Yeah, so um, uh, the first instance when I went in the hospital, there was a lot of um, really weird, scary stuff that happened in the hospital. Um, and I just... I'm only just now recently claiming it as, you know, I probably have some PTSD from that. Trauma, yeah. And um, so I never wanted to go back to a mental hospital because I, I didn't feel safe. And, yeah. uh, you know, that kept me, 
kind of environment you should feel safe but yeah. you know a lot of things have changed over the, over the decades and mm-hmm. back then they were you know doing the best they could in that situation um and in the process of me kind of on this up and down roller coaster of my life and, and emotions um i ran across this this buddy of mine uh he's pastor nathan beals and uh when i first met him he had just gotten out of the hospital and he's like a I don't know three fifty four hundred pound black man six eight, and uh, but basically we're, tw- we're twins. You like everything that he liked, I liked everything that I liked. He liked for for, for it was a Halloween or something one time. Like I ended up with a sharpie marker, a permanent marker, painting or drawing his beard on my face, <laughs> and then drawing the glasses that he wore on my. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, he so impressed me that I wanted to be like him and like look like him. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's just like, so I ended up going to the hospital again in 2013, like I said, and, and I knew I needed to go, but I didn't feel safe. So he had told me the hospital he had been to, so him, my pastor, my wife, um, we had two pastors at the time, uh, took me up to the hospital and just kind of kind of uh, shepherded me in a little bit in, a, in an easy and, and safe way, and I felt really, really wonderful there. Um, and... So there was a cycle of, of Nathan and I kind of going in and out of hospitals. Okay. So he would go, you know, I would go in the hospital, you know, he would bring me sweet tea and Oreos. He would go in the hospital, same thing, you know, sweet tea and Oreos. It got to the point where uh, one hospital he went into, they stopped allowing food. Oh. So you can bring candy. Like, well, how am I going to, how am I going to get him as a Reese's peanut butter cups? Yeah. So I, uh, I found this old book, this really old book. It's thick. And uh, I just carved it out, oh, lined it with glue, stuffed it with candy, took it in. And the funny thing is I met the author of that book and told him the story, and he thought it was awesome. He's <laughs> like, that's the best use of my book I've ever heard. <laughs> and I snuck it in there. They didn't check the book in security. And uh, and uh, he saw the book, and he, he just kind of threw it down on the ground like, oh, this is trash and candy everywhere. And if you know if you got scattered candy in a, in a mental ward, it's oh. like it's dangerous. Yeah. It's a free-for-all. Yeah. <laughs> But it was it was awesome and uh, yeah and uh, in I, th- I want to say it was 2017 he had attempted suicide twice um, in pretty uh, thought out and intentional ways yeah. um, planned very well planned out and and researched and all of that and and then his third attempt on January 24th 2018 he passed away. And um, he was our worship pastor. He was my best friend. He um, he was, you know, you get that you find that person you can talk to that you can connect with that you, you know doesn't just hear your words but understands the thoughts behind it. Yeah. And um, because they felt it, uh, like for example, my wife, you know, she her response to my depression was fear, and her fear response to my depression was anger. So, you know, we. We pretty much knew that any kind of struggle that I had where I needed to verbalize it needed to go to Nathan because he got it and it was safe. Uh, but when I lost Nathan, I lost that outlet. That outlet, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and I think in that moment of losing that outlet uh, is when I had to find another outlet. So, you know, writing and, and really now, uh, you know, even talking with you, it's like you're my Nathan. You know, you are, you're somebody that gets it. Uh, yeah. And t- 
talking to audiences and, and saying, you know, this being able to share so openly and knowing that I'm safe and that I have um, a support system to be there when I'm not safe, uh, it's, it's gold, man. It's really gold. And uh, yeah, I think and there's and there's a lot that developed around that relationship with Nathan around that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the way I did friendship really shifted um, between the 2002 experience and and me trying to be there for everybody to the 2018 experience where I've I've, I've kind of lost everything uh, in that one person that I could connect with, as well as just my ability to communicate with my wife in a way that wasn't scary to her, but, Mm -hmm. but also communicated the totality of my struggle. Um, and that's really hard to do, especially with the tools that I kind of mainstream ways of communicating with loved ones that, that different, um, mental health agencies and well-meaning people have put out there. It's just, it's really hard to communicate the struggle with people that don't really understand it. Is that yeah. where the scale comes in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the mental health scale. So, yeah, in the book you talk about different tools, and the first that's the first tool because that's the that's as far as I could I I, I got. Um, it's all down here from downhill from there. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, but the scale I was like, oh okay, yeah, because I I get that because the only scales I've seen, you know, it's the ones I get from therapy. I yeah, are like one to ten. Um, and, uh, the different smiley faces. I've oh, seen the that. smiley faces are great. And <laughs> it really puts the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those ones, uh, love the emojis. Yeah. The emoji ones. Yep. I've seen different ones. Uh, so that's how you've been able to communicate with, uh, with friends and family and anyone involved in your life or professionals on, you know, how you're feeling in a way that makes sense to not only to you but to them and it doesn't overwhelm them is that the is that the goal too or is it just so it's you know easily transcribed yeah I, I think it's a really good really good way to put it um it, it doesn't overwhelm them and it doesn't overwhelm me yeah i remember walking out of church talking to my friend bill and he's like Joe, how are you doing today and i yeah just, the how are you question yeah that, that, that's yeah. one of my chapters is yep is i was like I was I was literally doing all the mental gymnastics of how do I answer this for him? Like, what do I like? Because I have this going on. And, how much do I dump? Yeah. How much? Like, I, I yeah. have this thought that happened to me during church. And finally, he just looked at me and said, Joe, what's your mental health number? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's a one. <laughs> and he's like, OK, you're OK. You're OK. I get it. Like, yeah. So because um, on your scale, one is good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And um yeah, there's another story about my buddy in Ireland that got really, really sick, and and um, and he was able to use the scale to tell to communicate his wife because he was like doing pain this, level or like he was in psychosis, and the only oh. thing he could say to his wife that made any sense was tell Joe I'm at a negative seven, which is his, which is past his crisis number, and that crisis number is that's the point where you need to be hospitalized. Um, so yeah. zero is the middle ground. Yeah, middle is the zero ground. It goes from negative ten to ten, and it's you know for me it's got to be it's got to be a no brainer because I don't have a whole lot of time to think when I'm when I'm really in that deep dark place. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so anything on the left side or that negative side, you know, it's it's when I'm not doing well. 
And one of the things that really frustrates me about a lot of mental health scales is there's not a whole lot of room for positive feelings. Yeah. Usually you get like, oh, if on a positive 10 scale where, where 10 is good and one is bad, usually good feelings start around the seven. Like, well, how do you address mania? Yeah. Um, and that's something my scale does uh, because mania is a real problem, um, especially um, when you have that like over-energized ma- manic experiences and like how do you handle that huge drop-off that, ha- that happens and... Um, I needed to address that because not that I deal with with, with uh, extended versions of, of mania, but I do so have not like manic, bipolar. No, or, I'm not bipolar, okay. but I do have manic episodes short lived that really cause big problems. Yeah, and helping me identify those and then to be able to um, have a process in place of of kind of cushioning the fall that I know that sometimes comes with that. And then there's just times when I feel manic that I'm like. Where I, where I, well, actually, sorry, where I feel really, really good and I'm afraid I'm manic and then I crash just because I'm scared I'm manic. But really, I'm just having a really good day. Yeah. <laughs> so why can't I just like celebrate that? And I think, you know, that fear is such a such a tricky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> like, why am I feeling so good? Yeah, yeah. What's like, going on? And, you know, having anxiety about being anxious. Or recently for my presentation tomorrow, I've had a lot of anxiety about not feeling anxious. <laughs> I'm like, I should be more anxious. I'm not yeah. taking this seriously enough. <laughs> Yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, I've only done one. I spoke one time, and uh, it was for a uh, nonprofit here. It's called the Gray Matters Collection. Oh yeah, for schools. Yeah, yeah. And uh, heard good things. Yeah, I've gotten to know Haley, who's the director, a little bit, and she's like, "I want you to do comedy and speak," and I was like uh together or separate or what am i gonna do so she thought that so i was like i'm just gonna do it all together i'm just gonna mix it all into one and i was like what's my audience she goes it could be anyone from the age of 10 all the way to like 60 i was like oh boy yeah it's easy easy easy. luckily the audience wasn't super young so i was like okay i don't have to worry about filtering myself because when i get into the comedy mode i swear more and just things just start coming out and um luckily i wasn't i didn't have to worry about that i didn't swear too much i was also in a church i was like uh and i grew up catholic so um i wore my catholic sweater for you today yeah i appreciate that (laughs) yeah i'm very uh yeah the catholic guilt just never goes away um but uh so she had me speak and she's like i thought you were gonna do like a speaking about you know your story with your mental health journey and then do stand-up or like the other way around like nah i just did it all together because it's all relative to me like yeah and uh the show I went to last night actually was called Laughter is Therapy, which is like perfect for me because that's how I feel about it. And it's just been another great outlet for me. It, it seems like it would be hard, and this was how it was for me in law enforcement, to take off one hat and put the other hat on. Like, it's all you. Yeah, I was like, just, yeah, it's, I don't like the separating the two. Yeah. And I also mixed in the recovery, like the recovery, the addiction recovery stuff too. It's just all goes together. Yeah. Some people get mad at me when uh, when I share, and when, if I go, go to a recovery meeting and I start sharing mental health stuff, they're like, "Oh, that's that's an outside issue," and you know, that's like a, a phrase that you'll hear, and I'll just be like, "Well, it's part of my issue." So yeah. it, it goes hand in hand. Like, yeah, I, I don't know there, it, it, if there if it is a separate issue, it's a very gray. There's a very gray oh, line. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's very gray because. Uh, I used because I was trying to 
to alter my brain chemistry and fix myself. I wanted to be my own doctor. I didn't want to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to be able. To, I never got it right, but uh, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money researching that for sure. I try to be my own therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I haven't tried to do. But well, let's talk about that. Psychiat- <laughs> psychiatrist, I have tried to be my own psychiatrist, which I, which I think is maybe even worse because yeah, when you bring chemicals involved, and oh my god. So when it comes to the book, it's been two years since it's been out. So yeah. When did you start to notice more of an uptick of like, oh, people are actually reading this? Like, because you obviously you don't know when you put out a book. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, well, I hope people read this. And then all of a sudden, because obviously if you look it up, you have a ton of reviews. People are reading it. People are getting yeah. feedback. And yeah. uh, did that start right away? Or was it like all of a sudden like, oh, holy shit. Like this is <laughs> this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, so initially I, I like to say that my goal was to sell 10 books. And since my mom bought nine of them, like I just <laughs> figured, awesome. man, I just, I'm just that close to actually making it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, I actually invested a lot, uh, you know, uh, if Donald Trump did anything good, it was to give me some money <laughs> during that season of life. Yeah. Um, and I got some money, so I was able to go to school and, and uh, get some uh, publishing help different terms of how to how to figure out how to do it okay and uh so i, I got a lot of education in, in terms of like marketing and okay so i built up a team of support before my book launched and um and all of those people kind of rallied around me bought the book promoted the book we're talking about 300 people from around the nation um just talking about my book okay and uh i was i never really cared about the numbers. I never cared about, well, I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't look at the numbers. I didn't, you know, I didn't know if I was selling any, I just knew that I kept on adding people to launch team. I, people were talking about it. I'm like, okay, well, I just, you know, I know this is what I need to be doing because this is what the textbook said I needed to be doing for like marketing and, Mm -hmm. and figuring out what the next steps were. And I was just kind of like a machine. It's like a lot of times I'll either, you know, you talk about using your emotional mind or your logical mind, but then you mix them and you get that wise mind that you hear if you're anybody familiar with dialectic behavior therapy, like wise mind is kind of like a huge thing. Um, and combining those, but typically I keep them separate, my logical mind, and I'm yeah. just flowing logically uh, to the processes of, of getting a book out there and having a support team um, just really helped it take off. And then I think in terms of speaking, uh, one of the things that really launched it in a crazy way was when I was asked by a national Alliance of mental illness to speak at a police Academy, uh, because I'm, I'm in recovery essentially is what they call it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. on the, on the positive side of the struggle with depression and they want me to come and share my story. And I'm like, well, how do I go in to this police Academy? You know, nobody really knew my story about law enforcement and, and not share my, my story of, of working in law enforcement. So when I went in there and, and number one, I, uh, my community of broken people. That, that's why I call my organization Broken mm-hmm. People. And the reason I call it Broken People because when I'm at my lowest, that's how I feel, broken. So yeah. I thought, oh, let's see if anybody else feels broken like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Me. So I, I go in there and, and the community of, of Broken People uh, sponsored books for every uh, recruit that was in that police academy. So we were able to give everybody a book um, awesome. and all the teachers and, and officers that were there. And then when I popped the picture up on the screen about the, the day that I was sworn in, uh, GRPD, um, the shift in the room with 
more impressively or, or more significantly was with the officers, the current officers, and there was a lot more of attention at that point of, okay, this we didn't see this coming. This is a guy that kind of understands the job. And yeah. and uh, from there, I just I kept on being invited back to speak at academies and then working with law enforcement in West Michigan and Wisconsin, um, Northern Michigan. Um, and, and that created a lot more opportunity to speak and work with NAMI. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I got involved with a church and did a webinar for them, which really sucked because <laughs> yeah. they, they had a webinar uh, which had a pastor, a professor, and me. And it was about mental illness without a single mental health professional on there. <laughs> oh. And like, I, I, I am not a professional. I'm just, you know, I, I'm an, I'm an expert I'm to the, the guy with the story. I'm, yeah. a, I'm an expert with my yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was really pissed off. Um, and it came across that way. And, and somebody in Wisconsin heard that and Ooh. bought the book and oh, were, okay. were really impressed yeah, and like... brought me out there to do uh, several seminars uh, for law enforcement and for the communities in, in central Wisconsin. And then from there, you know, it's just, I don't care, man. I've already come way further. I sold my 10 books. I'm good. You know, <laughs> yeah, not yet. The, yeah. You know, and, and, and what, set, what a, the, set the bar very low and you're just like, yeah, you know, expectations, that? man, that, that screw you up sometimes, oh, you know, I know all about that. Yeah. But you know, I, small goals are, are great. I, you know, as soon as I found out the, you know, there's two different categories in Amazon in terms of like becoming a bestseller. You have a number one new release, which doesn't necessarily make you a bestseller in a category, but you're a bestseller in that category for, in that category for the books that just came out. Yeah. Which I, I think I hit like four categories of being a number one new release for my book. And then when it hit a number one national, like it was number one on the charts in f- three categories on Amazon nationally. Uh, like I, I remember getting out of the shower, finding that out, just like just getting on my knees uh, and just thanking God because like uh, I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. But I mean, that's just, it blessed me. You know, it made me feel like man, there's there's purpose in this pain. And, um, yeah, purpose is huge especially yeah. for people with depression. And the oh, thing, man. man, is like, you know, the thing I'm learning too, and, 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 and it's just, just my story and it could be full of, full of shit at the same time. But like my struggle, my, my experience with being in law enforcement and then 20 years later working with law enforcement, like God doesn't waste anything in my life. He hasn't wasted a thing and it's taken time for those, those pain points for them to become a purpose. But man, it just rocked my world when when how I see things um, coming together. Even in my marriage, man, just like how things have been tough. We've been married twenty five years, and uh, how things are transitioning there. Just because I'm I'm willing and able to listen and love, um, and make some sacrifices. So, yeah, and communication's huge too. What what's that? Communication. Communi- I haven't yeah. figured that one out yet. <laughs> <laughs> We're still working on that one. Yeah, I just got the sex down. <laughs> just kidding. Can I say that? Can I say yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> no, you can say whatever you want. All right. Well, I like turtles, and I'll say mm-hmm. that. <laughs> we can talk about turtles. We can. Uh, this is a mental of... illness podcast, yeah. right? So, yeah. Mm. I talked about it earlier, like how I can go like whew, so many different ways with that. Absolutely. When, because uh, you talked about law enforcement earlier, so how long were you in law enforcement? Like, I was. You... I was a sworn in officer for thirty six hours. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Time. It blows your mind. Like, wow, how did you last that long? <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I went to Academy uh, Flint, Michigan, where the Flint water crisis was. I went, I graduated third in my class there, studied at college in Dearborn, Michigan, um, and then moved to Grand Rapids with my wife and, and kid. I uh, went th- three weeks of training there and then got sworn in. Was never even really, it was kind of like this weird thing where I was sworn in as an officer, but my paperwork never made it to the state headquarters. So I was a sworn in officer, but not a certified officer. It's kind of weird. So let me carry a gun, but <laughs> I wasn't like official, official. I was only halfway official. It was just weird. Yeah, it's bizarre. So, um, but things have changed in, in law enforcement. And they have, have a lot of really great um, certification processes or whatever. But yeah, it was hard. And uh, and that 36 hours, I mean, it's, it's amazing how that that embarrassment that I feel from that, what I have always thought to be a, a failure. I mean, it's it, if anybody's failed, that's a pretty a pretty good example of failure. If, if there is an example of failure, but it, but uh, the reception I received by sharing that story um, has been pretty amazing, and the comfort and the the welcoming of the community of of law enforcement officers uh, and fire um, has been tremendous. Because um, there's a lot that I had to say, especially to that community that that needs to be heard, um, especially in the climate of of today's society. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Because that, yeah, with everyone, um, not everyone, but there's just a good portion of people who are like, you know, like there's the defund the police. There's yep, all that yeah, stuff yeah. going on, and it's just like, uh, and it seems like there's a gap. Yeah, a right. Big it's, gap. It's almost like there's a big gap between, like, well, well, there's there's stigma and related trust. Yeah, yeah. There's a stigma related to mental illness, and there's a, stri- a stigma related to law enforcement. Oh, yeah. There's a stigma related to Christianity, and there's a Stigmas all these everywhere. gaps exist. There's an aisle gap between Democrat and Republican, and and it's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, and we got to get past that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like why can't we just all work together? It's why does it have to be like we can't because you're wrong, <laughs> you know? Because you're, you're wrong. Yeah. And I have all the answers. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't have a podcast like this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I gotta watch it with that. It's like, yeah, I see this, I see that. I'm like, yeah. It's just like, why does it? Why do I have to go all in on yeah. one thing? It's just so weird to me. It doesn't make it's that's not how the world works. It's not how the world works. It's not how mental illness works. It's it's never black or white, um, and yeah, and and to look at it like that is just narrow minded and is part of the problem, uh, and 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 why there's stigma out and there. And most people you talk to are pretty moderate, like anyway, like yeah, yeah, and I think most people you talk to about mental illness have a pretty good understanding of this. Oh, we're not going to go shoot up a. Uh, movie theater or yeah, whatever, yeah. Or, you know they understand that but but then there's this there's this fear of particular types of mental illness that that make people think oh i i, I don't want to be around that person i don't feel safe around them yeah. or whatever and and um yeah i think we just need to listen i have this phrase that i use we listen with our mouths and that's this whole idea of you know i hear what you're saying and i can um, substantially speak back to you what you said because i've listened to you and if yeah. I don't, and if it doesn't come back to you the way that you said it, then I want to hear it again so I understand it. Um, but you're just too busy talking. I want to talk all the time. Yeah. Yeah, nonstop. Just don't want to shut up. I don't want to shut up. Just keep going. I just keep going. Yeah, and talking. You can have a solo podcast yeah. like Bill Burr. You know, the comedian Bill Burr? I don't know many people at all. <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? 
Okay, Bill Burr is uh, no Big Bird, old dude from older dude from Boston. Um, he's been in stand. He's been doing comedy for a long time, but he does podcasts like solo podcasts by himself all the time. He just rants. Oh wow! And just goes off. He's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Basically, just like a it's like almost like a new comedy special every time he records a podcast. But that reminds me of my therapy session on Monday last week, where I'm just talking to my therapist and all of a sudden I'm just like, you know, what? I'm gonna talk to myself. And I had this great dialogue with myself back and forth. And my therapist was like, you could tell she was getting uncomfortable. She, she had to say something I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I want a good flow right here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I, man, I don't have the the chops or the extrovertness to do this, man. So it's pretty incredible that you're doing it and, and with the struggle. And it's, and, and quite frankly, you know, the audience that's listening right now should, should really go on there give you five stars and, and, and share this episode. Cause because what you're doing matters, and your story matters, and um, I appreciate that you're putting out the content that you are, just by sharing your story. Because your story is unique to you, but it's going to touch the hearts and stories of other people that my story cannot. Um, yeah, it's very important. I try to get people to open up as much as possible, like because I know a lot of people struggling, and some people are just like, whether it's the stigma or whether it's just like it's just fear. They don't want to, they don't want to. Yeah. A lot of people just aren't to that place where they, or they aren't it's there safe, yet. you know? Yeah. And, and, um, you know, for me, I have, I have this, the safety net of people that I can fall back on, um, when I've gone too far and sharing my vulnerability and I'm struggling. Um, a lot of people don't have that, that base, you know? Oh yeah. And, uh, and you know, they don't have the medication, they don't have the therapist, they don't have the diet, they don't have the exercise. Like, there's so many things that go into making this right. And, uh, yeah, I never thought I would be an exercise guy, and I have been an exercise guy for almost two years now. Rock on. And I, before that, I was like, nope, the gym, I hate that place. I'm never going. <laughs> uh, but it's, I go, the physical benefits are cool, but I go for the mental benefits. That's, that's the whole reason why I go, man. It's the number one thing I do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which, what gym? Do, can you shout out to your gym? Are you able to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's Planet Fitness. So. Oh, I do 20. I do the black card. Oh. Yeah, I'm rolling. Yeah. Yeah, I get that the massage chair. <laughs> yeah, the massage chair. I wish they had a sauna, though. Oh, yeah, they don't have They have the, the That's tanning. Have you used the tanning? No. Oh, yeah, neither. Man. They got the hydro massage. Yeah. Maybe we get sponsored by Planet Fitness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have yet to get any sponsor. I've had a few people, like, reach out, like, about doing like affiliate marketing type stuff. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't want to do some promo code stuff. Or... Oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think m- the most people I talk to that do the workout, do it for the mental health that, that are oh, in yeah. my community. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you got the gym, the gym rats or sharks or whatever that they're there for building or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get into it a little bit. Like, yeah, you try to I, yeah. I compete with myself and try to, you know, up, up the way yeah. up the max and stuff like that. But yeah, it's like, but that's, it's cool to see that, like see the see the growth in that. But. Yeah, it is. It's that's amazing. Yeah, I, I went from you know I'm six four to twenty right now. I was one hundred seventy six four not too long ago. Uh, probably about ten years. Been going for six years, and um, you know I'm, I'm pretty decent. I'm pretty in shape. Um, 
so yeah, it's, it's, I, and, and the whole reason I did that, like I knew I needed to go for my mental health, mm-hmm. but I also just wanted to look really hot for my wife. So <laughs> helpful. Yeah. I'm also, yeah, I'm also single in my thirties. So I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I should probably work on myself a little bit physically yeah. as well. That and here's his phone number for all the single ladies listening <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> all the single ladies, yeah. all the single ladies. <laughs> we're going to get, we're going to get a little karaoke going next, yeah, after next. this actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, that's, that shows you a lot though about my listeners. Most like I was telling you earlier about the, a much larger percentage are female. And I think it's because women pay more attention to the, their mental health than men do. Yeah. It's just like, and that goes back to stigmas and it just goes back to yeah. like, not just stigmas, just the way we're, some of us were raised. Yeah. Um, like, you know man up that kind of stuff you know and it's still there yeah and there's a lot of minority communities too right now that are just realizing that you know that oh yeah the need for like the percentage of african-american therapists out there is so small but they're realizing that that's so important for people to be able to connect with somebody from their own ethnicity and then shout out aaron snyder he's a he's a therapist um out in i think he's actually in michigan too Um, i'll have to give you give you his info when i get out he's been on the podcast before a long time ago i need to have him back on um and he wrote a, he's an author too he wrote a book called uh black mental black mental health matters yeah yeah and, you know and they have this thing you know ptsd you know race-based traumatic syndrome like how it's passed down genetically um that's a that's a real thing it's hard you know as a middle-aged white guy to really understand but it's serious and i'm, I'm glad there's a lot of growing conversation around that um yeah it's it's pretty awesome some things that are happening but more and more need, yeah needs to and i listen to i'm i listen to a lot of hip-hop as you can see um by some of the stuff on my wall but uh that's why i have j cole on the wall because he like is very open about you know st- um just stuff going on in his life he's very much a lyrical rapper not like yeah and mac miller was the same way um and uh there's starting to be less of a stigma in that community as well. Yeah. Um, to be open about, you know, what's going on with your life. Like, you know, whether it's addiction or mental health or combination of the both, they usually go hand in hand as we talked about earlier. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you're talking about like criminal behavior, like stuff like that. I mean, there's, you know, I gotta give a shout out to my man, NF, He's my hip hop guy. Like NF's he's awesome. story, like hashtag NF. Go get him out of here. Thanks for listening, NF. Yeah, <laughs> we know you're out there. Yeah, um, he would be, he would be a great guest. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, his his way of connecting with me and my boys and my my daughter. Um, the, like, his story is real, and uh, yeah, he's know, a great example. Though. Yeah, and he's a Christian guy, and a lot of Christian families won't let their kids listen to him because it's it's too dark. I just think it's real, real. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's it's already going on. Yeah. So give him a point of connection in, uh, you know, his new album came out hope. And I, and I really think there's a lot of that in that album uh, in terms of like flipping the coin, flipping the script. Um, he's pretty young too. How old is he? Like, I think he just turned 30. I think he talks about being 30 uh, in, that, in his new uh, album. He's turning the leaf. So yeah. happy birthday, NF. Yeah. 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 Love you. I remember when <laughs> Hi, I, mom, by the way. <laughs> I, yeah. When I turned 30, I was like, what is going on? But my 20s were brutal. So oh, my not, 30s were brutal. Really? Yeah. I tell you, man, are you forty yet? No. Okay, forties, man. Thirty-three. When I turned forty, man, it's like my my life just flipped a script. It was it was awesome. Like I, 
my 40s been fantastic. That's how it's been with my 30s, my 20s. That's awesome, man. That's good, man. 30s suck for me. (laughs) (laughs) I guess everybody has their... Has their decade. Has their decade. Oh, I don't want to turn 50 now. (laughs) And now you don't want to turn 50 now. Nah, it seems to be on the up and up from here. And that's the... But I have to keep myself in check and do what I need to do. Like, I, I notice myself, like, if I'm slacking on my therapy, if I'm slacking on my recovery, then something's not going things aren't going well um yeah it it doesn't take long for it to start to go downhill um well a lot of times there's not a reason for it either like no. there may be a, like for me it's like i'll have a down day and it's so frustrating because i don't and know what caused it everything around you is just awesome yeah and i was just like yeah. well i mean isn't that what mental illness is it doesn't have to make sense it's not it's not situationally it's not logical uh it's just like hey this is an illness that you know shows this ugly head for no reason at all, and um, yeah, and I think accepting that uh, acceptance sucks, but it's 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 helpful, especially when people around you can understand what that acceptance is, what that illness looks like, and understand actually to what degree you're feeling something. Because if you can't communicate with them uh, where you're at, they may think, oh, I don't know if they need to be in the hospital or if they just need some alone time in bed for a day, and. Uh, did you hear the story about the Mars rover I put in the book? I didn't hear that part. No. Oh, yeah. So the whole idea of communicating like where we're at like with the mental health scale, and you can find it at www.broken-people.org forward slash my scale, M-Y-S-C-A-L-E. And there's a video that explains it really simple, four minutes. Um, so there's this in 2016. I think it was 2016. I'll put, a, I'll put a link for people to make it even easier. Yeah, no yeah. Wow, technology. Yeah. Uh, they sent us this uh, Mars rover, this thing to orbit Mars for a while. And Lockheed Martin um, built the ship and designed the, the mechanics and the electrical stuff. And when they built it, they built it to, to function on the metric system. Oh, I do remember this now. Okay. Yeah, yeah I did get the NASA, part. and I, I, I might be getting it backwards, but NASA, I believe, was using the Imperial system in terms of communicating with the, with the orbiter. And when they sent the information out there to kind of hit the orbit of Mars, you know, in the imperial system in inches or whatever per pounds per yeah. whatever, and the orbiter is reading it as, okay, this is meters, kilograms, whatever, like that inability to speak to each other costs, you know, was it $12 million or something like that to go down the drain because it crashed. They lost it. It was wasted money because all because they couldn't talk to each other. And uh, I think I think a lot of lives are lost unnecessarily. Because, a different language. Because we don't know how to talk to each other. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, and let's just talk about like, I use the scale for everything. Like I use it for my wife's cooking. I, I mean, our ability to talk to each other in politics, our ability to talk to each other about religion, about, about, uh, you know, that you're better looking than me, which is still a little bit intimidating right now, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, but I'm doing okay. I know Matt Rife that we will, we'll share Matt Rife later. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take my medication and I'll be okay. I have a lot of support at home for my ugliness. <laughs> hey, when you're. When you're when you're married, you can um, you kind of have and you're, you're locked in though. Yeah, you know what, man? Like I had somebody <laughs> come at me the other day, and they were like, "You, you don't know my, you don't know my loneliness, because Ooh. because you know you're married." And like, man, when you're married, you can still be lonely. The loneliness is is different. Yeah, but it sucks because you don't feel like you should be lonely. And it's it, like, it's I'm just, married. I'm not supposed to be lonely. Yeah, yeah. You, you think that's going to solve it, and really, yeah. it just makes it different. And, uh, yeah, you, you can't compare your, you know, your struggle with my struggle. Um, and it doesn't do anybody any favors. Yeah, I don't. 
Um, yeah, people are like, uh, people ask me if I, you know, how do you wish you were married or whatever. I'm just like, nah, it's just, it's clearly just not my time. That's not, yeah. Not just look at it that way. I'm like, I'm not. I haven't met the right person. I, I you know, yeah. I've been in relationships. I've, I've learned a lot from those relationships. And, uh, but if I was in a relationship right now, it would have to be very much, um, you know, she would have to be doing her own thing. I had to be doing my own thing. I've run into a lot of codependent issues in the past. And it's just like, I do a lot of different things and I enjoy it. And I enjoy my freedom yeah, of being able yeah. to do you know set my own schedule and do whatever i need to do um yeah it does come with the side of loneliness but it's yeah. like yeah you like, know you know you, you you have a way of doing things that is going to be different from other people one of the sections of my book it's called utilization mm-hmm. you know at the end of a chapter i have this utilization section it's called y-o-u like yep. how do you take the concepts i introduce in this book and make them your own and, you know, even in, like, in a relationship or marriage, you know, my wife and I have a completely different way of making our bed. The bed gets made no matter what, but it's still different. And, you know, like with this. All the know, extra pillows. All the extra pillows. <laughs> you know, I've got my little stuffed animal over here. He's my emotional support reindeer. Nice. His name is Sloppy. Shout out to Sloppy. <laughs> um, you know, the, the job's getting done. And, you know, with my book, I don't expect people to have the same outcomes as me or even to use the tools that I introduce the same as I do, but to utilize them again, you make them your own, bring them into your world and make them work for you with your community. And, uh, that's where you're going to find the most success because you, you know, look like me, you know, have my experience, my, my life, my, my friends. And really the best thing you can do for yourself is, is really to make it work for you and, and make it fit into that unique world. That's your own. Um, you know, it, it, and that I think it's, it leads to so much frustration when I read a lot of books where it's like I'm expected to follow this path and, and this is the only way. This is the only way. Yeah. And I'm reading a book right now, actually, it's really great about this. It's uh, Atomic Habits um, and just a fantastic book about just developing and, and not like in a forceful way of, oh, you got to do it this way, but just to give some guidance, some very general guidance so you can look and create some good healthy habits and it's not a book for mental illness but man it really impacts me it's like a self-help yeah, yeah yeah james clear is it's, it's an amazing book so i listened to the audiobook and then i just bought it and i bought it for my board members because it's just that good <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah audiobooks seem to work for, better for me um in general just because of the way i am like um with my ADD, I'm just all over the place when I try to read. And also with my OCD, mm-hmm. when I try to read a book, I will read the whole thing. And I'll be like, I didn't get the whole thing, so I have to read the whole thing again. Yeah. And, it's, and then I start a cycle, and I'm just like, oh, this sucks. I'm not even enjoying reading this book. I'm just going to yeah. put it down and never look at it again. <laughs> so I've had multiple books where I've started, like, and I get like halfway through, and it's like completely... Um, it's something I'm trying to work on, uh, with my therapist actually is, uh, getting back, getting past that. So I don't think, oh, you know, you can just read the book again. You don't have to like read every page. again. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, like you... you could just read a chapter and not, and, and like one that appeals to you. Like I have a hard time yeah. with that. Like, like if I read a chapter, I got to read the whole thing or I feel unfaithful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah. something. I'm, I don't know. You're committed. You're, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't just read one page. My one friend was like, if you want to get back, because I'm trying to get back into 
He's reading helps. I'm trying to well, I'm trying to stay away from my phone more. That's a big thing, you know, how we talked about that. Yeah. Being attached to your phone and um yeah. <laughs> it's, No, I'm just like you want to check the screen. Oh, I thought you were pointing at her. No, <laughs> on her phone. Yeah. My daughter's sitting over there on the other side of the screen with uh their phone <laughs> With being the- a great example like she's giving us cues <laughs> it's uh it's tough though it's just yeah. there's like it's almost like an impulse like yeah if i'm bored i like will like grab my phone without yeah. realizing it hey do you think we could bring my daughter on here just to talk for a minute yeah yeah we can do that yeah you, th- you want to talk about your phone addiction my phone addiction i'm kind of bored but <laughs> yeah it's uh it's yeah good, yeah yeah we'll mix it up i didn't write the book <laughs> you didn't write the book well, I didn't write the book I just wrote the forward. You wrote the forward. He likes to call it the first chapter, but yeah. Father <laughs> uh, daughter. So yeah, it's a it's a very much a family business. Um, and it's Hannah, right? It's Hannah. Okay. Yep. That's an easy one too. I like easy names. You can say it forward or backwards. I respond to both, so. Oh, that's Up great. That's yeah. great. You should start doing stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, though. It's addicting. Like your phone. <laughs> so we talked about earlier, you said you won't get on TikTok because you feel like you'll get, like, absorbed. No, I don't do TikTok. <laughs> because you'll get absorbed by it? Oh, yeah. I'm one of those people where you put you put a screen in front of me, and I totally lose track of time. And I'll okay. just be, especially with videos, like, if they're videos, I know myself, and I know that I'll be, I mean, it'll be 30 minutes before you know it. Okay. So you're... You, I see cause you brought up a YouTube channel, so you're a YouTube person, probably. I, I am. I'm, I wouldn't call myself a YouTube person. Person. I find my like I have like two channels that I just kind of commit to, and I'm, and those I watch for hours. But you stick to those, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um. So, what do you find yourself when you're on your phone? When you're attached to your phone, what do you find yourself like getting absorbed into the most? I think it's just mind-numbing. I just appreciate um, the mind-numbing aspect of it. So I think it doesn't matter. So when I'm going on my phone, it it's, doesn't an es- matter. it's escape. Yeah, it's it doesn't a matter what I'm looking escapism. at. Escapism, yeah. Yeah, it's just an escape. It's just something to clear my mind and not, not be caught up in my mind. My thing is, yeah, I'm on my phone all day, but like before I go to bed, and I know the blue light's really bad. I've heard a lot, enough about it, and uh, it messes up, can mess up your sleep, and... Um, do you have any – do you try to put your phone down or do you fall asleep like phone in hand or does it depend? So I fall asleep with my phone next to me, but I've been trying to read Yeah, that's when I'm falling to sleep because, I mean, reading will put me right to sleep. That's a great way to make me pass out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this book all, all night long. She reads this book fall and then she falls it. I've been trying to memorize it from the front to the back, so um, about halfway there. About halfway there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you ever find yourself just scrolling through your photos in your phone like – there's literally no purpose to it. I'm just looking through all my photos. Uh, I need to because I need to delete a bunch of duplicate stupid selfies that are just like, oh, this this didn't fit the cut. <laughs> you know, um, I find myself just mindlessly scrolling social media. That's what yeah. that's my problem is like it could be it could be Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts. Uh, anything that's like that quick media like the one minute clips yep i love the clips you, tiktok will get you it got me uh it, it got me i knew it though that's the that's the bizarre part about it it's like i knew what was gonna happen but <laughs> i'm it was um i was too intrigued by it 
They're going to delete this podcast when they hear me talking about TikTok. Don't get TikTok. <laughs> well, we don't know how much longer TikTok That's will be true. around. That's true. A couple of the social media outlets don't really like me because I used to have a different username and I completely rebranded myself. Oh, no. I used to run a college party blog called Now That's College, and I changed everything from Now That's College to Modern Day Overthinker when I got sober. Because it's kind of like the after phase of the party phase, right? Like, I think that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of, uh, I messed up my brain a lot. It was already not in the greatest place anyway, but I did some, I did some damage. And uh, I was like, and I was like, I can't just start, I can't post it. And I was also out of college for a long period of time when I was still running this blog. I was like, I'm just like this weird old guy that never left the party. <laughs> and I had to stop. Once you hit 30, you just kind of got to start like drifting away. There. It was before 30 even. I felt like it didn't make sense. And I wasn't, I wasn't partying. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing anything. I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me. And this is just mindless media and there was a point where it got pretty big, and I was had at one point on Twitter we had like thirty thousand. It was me and a friend of mine. We had like thirty thousand followers on Twitter. I used to the Twitter, the Instagram account that I use now that I changed to Modern Day Overthinker used to have nineteen thousand followers. I lost eight, nine thousand followers when I, I think switched. I just about hit three, so I'm getting up there. You getting up there? Yeah. Do you <laughs> do you post videos then? I do not post videos. Okay. See, I ha I'm one of those people that has Instagram, but, like, I'll delete the app and I have to go online to get to it. Like, that's how lame I am. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram, Instagram, on the website's not very – it's gotten No, better. it's so lame. It's right? terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, yeah, it's not ideal. So you don't even <laughs> want to look at it that's then. That's the point. That's a good strategy. You got to, like, compete with yourself. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. So the foreword of the book, you wrote that, was that um, a volunteer or was that a voluntold type of situation? It was kind of, um, <laughs> kind of both. Kind he of asked both. me to write kind so of like my write experience anyway. with him and his mental illness. So I just wrote um, kind of freehand whatever came to mind, what I thought when I thought about his mental illness. Um, and I think he, what he wanted me to write was kind of about his struggle, but when I was thinking about his mental illness, I really, what came to my mind wasn't his struggle. What came to my mind was just how good of a dad he was. And so that's what I, I didn't mean for it to be the forward to the book. And I don't think he meant for it to be the forward to his book. Um, it was just a letter from me to him. And he was like, yeah, this is going in there. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, I just, I felt like what I wanted him to know was that um, he was lying to himself. His mind was lying to him. Um, and that he was an amazing dad as much as he kind of blames himself sometimes for passing on his mental illness to his kids, um, which he did. Thank you for that. Um, but he also passed right. on the resilience. It's and the gift that keeps on giving. Right, yeah. yeah. And he chose um, to do things like make the tools that he came up with in this book. And while there can be generational trauma and uh, mental illness is genetic. Um, yeah. At the same time, you can pass on those tools and those skills to your kids. And so he's passed on this desire in me to help other people. Um, and initially, my my life was kind of taking the same path that his was taking in the past, where um, all I could see for my future was suicide. And that was, you know, I really relate to when he says that, and I relate to a lot of his story. I'm kind of the daddy girl of the family. So, <laughs> um, so I go on the trips with him, and I, I like to watch him during podcasts and 
and watch his story because I relate to him so much. Um, and so it's really encouraging even as his daughter to know what he's been through and to hear of his hospitalizations and some of the thoughts that he has that I can relate to. And then to be able to look back at my childhood and just think, I didn't see any of that. Like yeah. all I saw was this dad who was super playful and super interactive with us. And um, just to literally think the world of him, like he's my hero um, and I can brag about him cause he's too humble to brag about himself. <laughs> um. <laughs> I know. How, yeah. I know how that goes. I have to have people like, I still don't, um, I totally relate to that because like people like compliment me on things all the time and I'm just, right. and I immediately like, I've gotten better at it, but I used to just like immediately like have a rebuttal for their compliment. Right. Well, and, I have OCD too, so I get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just immediately. Right. Yeah, I just OCD want, yeah. yeah, I just immediately <laughs> want to be like, nope. Yep. You can't take it. I'll discredit that, uh, real quick. I mean, yeah. reading anything, hearing anything, I feel like I have a rebuttal for it. And I think that's just kind of part of that journey. Um, so when did, uh, when did the OCD start? Oh, so it starts I, differently. For, it starts January 6th of 1990. No, I was talking with my therapo- therapist about it because I had never really considered OCD or thought about OCD. Yeah, some, it's misdiagnosed a lot. Yeah, and I've been to a lot of other therapists and counselors and no one's ever brought up OCD. And then I was telling her just kind of stories in my past and she was like, yep, that's OCD, that's OCD, that's OCD. And I was like, really? Like, this is... This is something that other people experience and there's like a name for it and I like can do actual things to get better. Um, Exposures. Yeah. And it's completely changed. Like, you know, I'm not turned around. Have I haven't done 180 and I'm completely fixed, but it's changed my life to have a, a name for what's going on in my head and to be able to follow other people who have kind of been through it. Like my dad, who was also diagnosed with OCD. Ah. Um. But yeah, just to be able to have a name for something and be like, this is real and this is um, this is not who I am, but something that is happening to me that I can control. Yeah. So you don't. Re- so what you were diagnosed more recently after yeah. the fact. So with me, it was like I was like 13, 14. I don't remember the exact right around that weird age anyway, where things are just changing and in general everything's awkward and everything <laughs> everything <laughs> around that time period is just weird and um i didn't know what was going on with like you know having these weird thoughts and like these fears of like the stuff that didn't make sense and i thought i was like going to hurt someone or harm someone i had a lot of harm ocd stuff like where i thought like if i didn't do something right perfectly or the way that i I had in my head then something was going to happen to somebody like that I cared about. That was like the, that was where, where it started. Or I thought I was going to do something that was going to get me in trouble at school or whatever. And that started like 13, 14. And then I got, when I first went to a psychiatrist, they were like, within like 20 minutes, the lady was like, Oh yeah, he's bipolar. My parents were like, Nope, we're going to somebody else (laughs) because they were like, we know bipolar because that's been in the family, and they're like, we know he's not bipolar. We don't know what it is. They didn't really know what OCD was, I don't think, at the time. But then I went, luckily, I saw somebody after that, and they're, and he was like, yeah, this is obsessive-compulsive disorder. And then ever since then, I've kind of been in and out of therapy, but more so in therapy the last few years. But And then, yeah, 
Um, I don't know if they had been doing, have you been doing like ERP stuff or? I've been doing a little bit of exposure therapy. Yeah. Um, just little things here and there, not like some of the major things you think of, like holding a snake or, you know, I feel oh, like yeah, they that. have these really big scenarios you think of with like, exposure therapy, but exposure therapy can be like little tiny things throughout your day. Like, okay, go talk to two people today that you wouldn't normally talk to. Yeah. Um, and then slowly increasing that as your comfort level grows. And so I think, um, exposure therapy kind of gets this knock <laughs> from some people like they're scared of it just because of how it sounds like oh exposure i don't want that yeah it sounds weird but it's literally like the best yeah statistically like the best most proven me- right. best method and i was talking about it with my counselor and it's, said, it is scary but yeah. it's like one of those things like once you do it though like the results are just like Right. And consistently do it, obviously. Right. And you have to stick with it because at first it is You have to stick with terrifying. it. Terrifying. It's so much easier to just do the compulsion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. One of the examples she gave me was um, if you think you're going to hurt somebody, you have these thoughts about hurting people and you think you're going to hurt somebody. And say you imagine knocking someone over the head with a wine glass to take that wine glass and stand next to them and see how much control you have. And I was like, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> that. I don't know if everyone should do that. There one. has been times in the past where like, I told my therapist, like, I'm not doing that. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've had to say that a couple times, Even too. though I knew, like, yeah, you're right, but I'm not ready for that <laughs> yet. Yeah. Yep. So what else do we want to talk about while, you ha- while you're in the hot seat? Um, or you can take him back. <laughs> trying to think of – I wasn't prepared for this part, so. Neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> it threw me off. Well, since you did the forward for the book, you can do the outro for the podcast. How's that? There you go. Um, so if there's one thing about the uh, about the book or about what your dad's doing that you would want somebody to know about, what would you say? Like specifically, like whether it's a resource or something like a quote from the book or something that you've learned that you would want to share um, with those that are listening right now? Kind of putting you on the spot. Um, I would really highlight the chapter about Keystone Habits. And that's something that I think he's been working on. He mentioned the book Atomic Habits that he's reading right Mm now. Um, You can look at your life and be really motivated to change it and think you're going to change it tomorrow. um, And that can just cause you to pitfall. Okay. And so being realistic with yourself and having a lot of grace for yourself – my dad right now, one of the goals that he set for himself is to drink water at every red light that he stops at. Ah. And so sometimes, like, we stopped today and there were four red lights coming up. He's like, I'm just going to take four drinks. And he doesn't always, like, it's nothing specific. He doesn't yeah. put any stress around it. It's just every time that he's at a red light, he takes a drink of water. And so his goal for himself is not lose a certain amount of weight, um, anything huge. It's just, I'm going to drink water when I'm at a red light. And if you can set just the tiniest goal like that and just stick with one and do that consistently and make that a part of your routine, and then once you have that down, add another one, that really is what um, triggers this huge change in your life over time. But it's slow, um, just like a lot of the best things in life. Yeah, a lot of the best things. Yeah, because I'm one of those people that wants instant gratification. I I want it now, I'm like, wow, tomorrow I am just going to be beautiful. My whole life is just going to be completely different. Everything's going to be better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um well i i appreciate you jumping on as well and both of you being here this is uh awesome opportunity
Thank you.